So good morning, everybody. Good morning. So for the first question, because I'm, I'm really uh, interested here, who here does not speak Portuguese? Raise your hand. We do have people who speak Portuguese. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So see, this is an experiment. And we are doing everything about the experience of an experiment. So everything can happen here today. Housekeeping information. Some of us do have some devices. Uh, and we have been talking about those devices. The information that is getting, uh, we are getting from this, those devices are not going to be used. It's the same information that you give to Apple, so don't worry about that. It's a fun multimedia uh, show, so surprises might happen. Our contacts is going to be on the QR code that you saw in the beginning, it's going to be on the end, and there is a surprise as well, because today we're gonna to be launching uh, officially the recruitment for, oh, and I got the glasses, Rise and Raise Others, so we're gonna be talking about that in a minute. That is our movement, it's a, it's a global empowerment, women, uh, Women grow, ah, you got it. And it's growing organically. We started with 250 C-level uh, women, and now we have like 2,000 women come, wanting to come in. And we're connecting all those bubbles, and we are going to start something really fun. So we already had in 380,000 votes for one of the, our members that needed those votes. We had 32 women receiving an award. One of them is here, Mariani, raise your hand. She got the award from United Nations. Uh, we had seven panels here through the panel picker that we had the voting, we got the voting system. And we got tons of engagement for on social. Uh, we have the pre-launch of the book over here. We got the book here. And now we're going to have uh, global mentorship, like connecting all the women that we know all over. So this is the QR code. It's for free. And whoever wants, we, want, we would love to talk to you ladies. Um, so who here works in tourism and events industry? Raise your hands. Okay. Who is on advertising, branding, or marketing? Okay. Who here understands about neuroscience? Kala, see? Huh. Who here has been in Paris already? Okay, that's gonna be fun. And who here is connected to this experiment that we're talking about with this here that we talked with you guys on the, the outside? Raise your hands. We have a few, we have 15 people here. Please raise your hands. Here, oh, they're all here. So everybody here is connected to an experiment that we're gonna be talking about. Everybody here will have their information sent to 
this place here. And Kala is going to explain better in a minute. Let's talk about me, because I'm a Leo and I have to talk about myself. So I'm an experienced wizard. I'm the CEO of Wish International. It's an agency that has been in the market for 36 years now. And we have offices in Sao Paulo, Paris, Silicon Valley, and Miami. We do magic. We like to exceed expectations. And I'm the founder of Bryson Race. Uh, who here is a member of Rising Race? Raise your hands. I thought that the room was going to be full of you guys. You know why you're not? Because you're, everybody's on Zoom and everybody's here on this Zoom here. Hi, girls. So let's start talking about experience. That's what the panel is about. Experience is for humans, meaning that chat GPT is not going to have this, this thing that we call experience. Cheat sheet, experience generates emotions. Like when you live, you create emotions. Corporate events that some of us work with, they create emotions. And activations, brand activations, they also create emotions. Emotions create memories and memories form our personalities. So what are the emotions? Try to do that with me. If your eyebrows go down and then you narrow your lips, try to do that with your face. See that things, you do that with your face? That sends the information to your brain and that connects to some parts of your body that Carla is going to tell and explain what happens. Then you go fear. What happens? Do that with your, with your eyes. Raise your, your uh, eyebrow and with your... And then the brain will get that information and will send lots of hormones and lots of information to your entire body. Sadness. Try sadness or, or don't. Just let's jump. We're South by Southwest. Happiness. Unless you have Botox. <laughs> Discuss. No, let's jump that as well. And surprise. Eyebrows raised, mouths open. So we have some emotions here. And so how do we create memories with the emotions? We live every day as if it was your last day because one day is going to happen. So, explore the senses. And that's what we do in events. We have sight, and that's like just remembering. We have sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. So, if you go to Paris, you get there. You get you on board and, and arrive in Paris. You see Eiffel Tower. And then you hear what's going on, the traffic in Paris that's amazing. And then you smell a croissant for the first time. First time, you never saw a croissant. You're smelling the French croissant. And then you taste the croissant. It's different than anywhere else in the world because it's made by the French there. And then you touch. 
you will never forget your first cosa. And that happens with the first wine or the first everything that you have for the first time. And that's going to be in your memory forever. So good memories, they are great brand builders. They are amazing engagement support. And they are return on investment, meaning that every uh, money that you put on that, when it's planned, used with data, you do have a good return. And let's talk about my friends. I just love those guys here. Montesquieu, Foucault, Simone de Beauvoir, Sartre, Voltaire, Descartes, Lévi-Strauss. Those guys, they, they taught us in history how to think. They, they gave us a path, they gave us a north on how to think, how to look, and they're all French. That's their main treasure. I mean, I think Croissant is good as well. I like them better. And they brought anthropology, philosophy, sociology, and they put everything on the Olympic pro uh, project. They got those people and they started to question what's the purpose of everything? What does happiness mean today, different than it was before? And what's the concept of leisure? Things that we normally don't question, those guys, anthropologists, philosophies, and sociologists, they do question, and they came up with a plan. It, wasn't, it didn't come from nowhere. It was really well designed. So we have here Cristiane Pelagio, our super anchor. She's going to talk to Elodie and Sophie. Cristiane has been an anchor in, for 26 years in our main uh, Brazilian channel. She is a super hit there. And Elodie and Sophie are the responsible for the Paris tourism. They are, one of them manages all the information that we have outside Paris. And the other one, uh, Sophie, is managing everything that we have of information about the Olympics. So you're going to meet now the people that are going to be talking to the press from now to 2024. And then we have, oops, sorry, I jumped one, uh, Dr. Kala Chepo that is going to uh, explain to us with all, everything that I just told you. With uh, if we're going to Paris, if we're going to be on the Olympics, how are we going, how is, are we going to react to everything that they are planning and how our clients are going to be reacting to everything that they are planning for us. So now I'm going to give the clicker to Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Natasha. Good morning. Thank you so much to be here with us today. It's really a pleasure for us to be here. Well, I'm Cristiano Pelagio. I'm a Brazilian journalist, a TV anchor, and I'm curious. I'm eternally curious. I love to reinvent myself. I'm doing this right now. And I also love to learn, love to read. I'm also a traveler. That's why I'm here, because I love Paris. Paris is like my second home. And also, I've been in three Olympic Games and four World Cups, so I also love sports. So to me, it has everything to do to be here with you today talking about the Olympic Games with my friends here. And it's a pleasure to have 
you all here with all this room full of people. Thank you very, very much. I will start by something I am like dying. I can't wait to witness. It's the opening ceremony. I'm going to talk about this. The great innovation spirit is preparing for the Olympics. First time, an opening ceremony will not be inside a stadium. The first time in history, but in a river, and not just a river, same river. Can you imagine boats for each national delegation sailing the same river with cameras inside, of course, to allow television and online viewers to see the athletes. And the public will be on the merge of Seine River. I think it's going to be something fantastic. The first time in history we're going to see this. Incredible. Do you know where this stadium is located? You know? Just Chris. No. <laughs> yes, it's Barcelona. But it's very, very difficult to tell because when you are inside an arena, a stadium, it can be Rio de Janeiro, Sydney, Beijing, or Paris, or Barcelona. This one was Barcelona Summer Olympic Games in 1992. That's why Paris wanted to put people outside for everybody to see the sports, for everybody to be near the athletes. It's something historic. How about this place? Do you know what it is? It's easier. It's Paris. 329 events distributed among 40 competition sites. Paris landmarks transformed into sporting arenas. Can you imagine the wonderful photos? Wow, everybody wants to go there, yeah? I want to go there. In Colombe, northwest of Paris, is located the only venue in France to host the Olympic Games twice. The Yves du Manoir Stadium hosted the event in 1924, a hundred years before staging the hockey games in 2024. It's something historical also, I think so. Using Paris' stunning landscapes for the Olympics is also a matter of sustainability because it matters with it. In order to minimize the environment impact, only two new venues, just two, will be built. The Olympic and Paralympic Village and also the Aquatic Center. And both projects were designed to have a low carbon footprint. Well, if you listen to me, if listening to me aroused your curiosity, you should know there are two women, I'm going to talk to them now, who uh, is going to give us more details about the organization of this amazing event. I'm going to talk to Sophie Lacressonnière and also Elodie Berta. They are going to appear here on Zoom now online for us. Can you put them, please? Hello. Do you listen? Hello, I'm Paris. Oh, bonjour. <laughs> it's great to hear from you. I'll start uh, asking you, please, to begin introducing yourselves and also to 
answer the following question. I'd love to begin with Sophie. Sophie, would you say Parisians and also the visitors will participate more in this event than in preventive editions of the Olympic Games? We have a problem with your audio. Just one moment, please, Sophie. Chris, maybe we should just, uh, sorry everybody, they're having an issue there in Paris. So maybe we should just uh, okay. get, get, get color and then yeah. we... Yes, because I wanted just to show the slides they were going but to show the, the French women. Yeah, but okay. Okay, so let's, let's yeah, go. That's, let's we're, go. we're going to invert. So Kyla is going to talk about her, her, her experiment, and then we're going to come back with Paris. Yeah. You know. Here you are. Let's, let's. Are you hearing me? Yeah? So, well, Chris and Natasha, it doesn't seem like measuring people's engagement with experiences new, is it? Social and psychological sciences have already given us different perspectives on what motivates, engages, and excites people. However, the main barrier we need to overcome is the impact of the meanings of each, each of us attributes to the events we live and experience through our senses. Let's talk about this topic from a perspective that may seem simplistic at first, but given the complexity of the system in which it's embedded, it may reveal to us that the available measures must overcome object subjective aspects and be able to analyze the basic responses that are predictive of preferences and value attribution. I'm a neuroscientist and you probably expect me to simplify the complexity of human experiences into measures that we can be taken from materiality and its manifestations as this experiment had brought to us. But there's more to be investigated than that. While I was in academia, I focused on studying the functional dynamics of the dopaminergic system, which, which is at the center of the constructions of memories associated with experiences and opportunities. Recently, I've been applying this knowledge to the development of strategies that increase teacher-student interactions results for different age groups and complexities, and for organizations' environments to improve customer relationship, brand loyalty, and employee loyalty. At the center of this discussion is our ability to infer which stimuli and experiences will be relevant enough to produce quality memories that will allow the evocations of stories, circumstances, products, and solutions that interest those who seek experiences that, that add positive values to them. Here is the center of our discussion. Behavioral resources. Like a neuroscientist, behavioral resources are extremely important for an evolutionary standpoint. Look at this fish. Look at this primate using a hawk to obtain food. For instance, 
Life, even in its most primitive expressions, needs to recognize which behavioral research can produce the best result in a given circumstance. However, sometimes this behavioral research cannot bring us the best long-term results, but in the short term, it ensures that opportunities and recognizing and seized. Let's say you are craving some, something to eat, something known as hunger, other times as greediness, and you can choose from some tasty fruit, a delicious chocolate cake, or another dense or calorie dense food. However, this is a research in your brain that will make you prefer the more calorie-dense food since through life evolution there were periods of food scarcity. This decision-making process is heavily influenced by a person's story and experiences, but ultimately it creates a behavior pattern that makes your, cho your choose one thing over another. And that's why we have all, all of you have different preferences which make it hard to establish a definitive pattern based on subjective opinions. However, since this system creates a highly stereotypical emotional response, we can measure these patterns to predict how memories and experiences will stick with us. So, for example, how can we be sure that most Parisians and tourists will remember the 2024 Olympic Games as an unforgettable event. How can we measure the different subjective reactions that stem from cultural experiences or differences? Emotional responses can reveal these patterns, and that's what we're doing right now with some of you in the audience, including myself and my adventure buds, Natasha and Chris. Can you show us? Let's try. Now, look at this. You, you don't like my, my speech? <laughs> Something wrong, no. Thank you. Thank you. Look at this. I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. So that's the point. Look how immediately you respond to me. Can you see that? How immediately we can measure, measure that, that, that data? So speaking of which, one of them, and you can see now, it's living some special moments today. It's Chris birthday. And she's starring at this conference. How about singing her happy birthday and see her emotions? Let's happy birthday to you. It's my birthday. Now I knew it was. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> We're learning 
that for like six months, actually. <laughs> Those my slides, please. A very interesting fact that can help us to explain the involvement of our emotions in the decision-making process was obtained through the use of Iowa gambling tests. Do you know? Briefly explain it. So, briefly explain it. An individual is presented with four decks of cards that display variable financial gains, rewards, and lose penalizations such as winning 120 or losing 50. After that, this individual is prompted to sequentially draw 100 cards. The result of the task is the sum of gains and loses that were obtained after those 100 cards were drawn. However, as the individual draws cards from each of the decks, based on his own free choice, Researchers capture information on brain activity and emotional responses through electroencephalography, measuring skin candidates, or heart activity that reveal the emotional dynamics the individual is experiencing. Also, as the different decks of cards are experienced, it's possible to see emotional activity revealing a pattern. As the cards decks are not randomly distributed, the individual's emotion system begins to detect a pattern through unconscious cognitive functions before the person is able to realize it. In addition, there are high face values in two of these decks of cards, representing a great chance of loss because there are more penalizations cards. On the other hand, the other two decks have more lower face values but the cards represent a great, greater chance of rewards. Choose, after turning some cards face up, a conflict presented by the emotional reactions revealed by measures as a role setting. And it's possible to notice that emotional reactions experienced induced the individual choices even before any conscious perceptions of the card distribution pattern had been Realize it. Therefore, based on emotional dynamics, decision making considers the balance of the, the balance that each of the card decks represents. Just predicting with card decks, the individual will choose to become more engaged with the experience and repeat it. And a fact that corroborates the findings that choice influence is based on emotion is that people who have lesions in emotional areas of the brain perform poorly in the Iowa or Iowa gambling task because they end up having great difficulty recognizing the card distribution pattern. However, these physiological measures that are obtained during an experience rely on the installations of devices that may seem quite invasive. For instance, when we need to measure electroencephalography activity, the mere coupling of the device to the person is already an, emotion, an emotional stimulus that can mask results. That's the problem. When on occasion, I was hired by a company to evaluate employees' perceptions of the company's work environment. The work 
would be based only on group dynamics with open-ended questions during which I would observe emotional dynamics based solely on facial expressions and body language to validate the responses presented, like in a group focus. However, uh, by merely mentioning that I was some kind of neuroexpert, left everyone startled. Some even expressed discomfort by asking if I was going to test their brains. Likewise, in non-controlled experimental circumstances, styling devices such as electroencephalogram caps and cardiac sensors can influence the output of experience. Thus, one of the most important challenges for the defense of the use of emotional measures as indicator of emotional balances lies precisely in the emotional perception that equipment and biological measures can interfere with the experience output. At this point, Edu, can you show us? <laughs> Some of you who connect your smartwatch to our experiment may, you can, may, may tell us if there is any discomfort in doing so, since the data being captured by us are the same, the, the same are many of you are widely accustomed to providing for health monitoring apps, like in your smartwatches. And this is precisely the trump card that can grant neuroeconomist Pozak the Nobel Prize. Dr. Zak and his research group have worked for two decades to find patterns that correlate both emotional engagement and balance experienced during a given condition. They have combined data on brain activity measure by magnetic resonance imaging with results from hormonal measures like such as oxytocin, the hormone that earned Dr. Zach the nickname Dr. Love. Oxytocin is uh, known by hormone of love. Um, Hence, all the invasive and complex data collected were combined with data collected from cardiac activity, which led the group to develop an algorithm responsible for the analysis we are conducting, conducting here now. All of these are presented in a user-friendly interface called Immersion. Immersion is also the title of the book published by Pozak last September, in which he explained all the details of this long journey. Although the algorithm in question is under commercial exploration, it's so expensive, we can dare to think about evaluation a collective experience, such as ours, or even suggesting it's used to evaluate and measure the results obtained during the Paris experience in real time revealing whether the objectives present here are being truly achieved or not. At this point, we are probably wondering about what the real-time data collected during this experience is likely to reveal. For instance, measuring the level of interest you have in each of our speeches, the level of engagement of a group during a meeting or work activity, or the quality of the experience of thousands of people during an Olympic Games. Think that by combining real-time data with geolocation data, it's possible to map in an unprecedented way 
the impact of the level of the engagement, the quality of the emotional experiences that will be responsible for validation, each experience lived compared to other experiences. This is exactly how our nervous systems manages our choices. I believe that by now, you have no doubts about the value that these real-time measures can bring to the tourism or entertainment industries, but we'll have the opportunity to discuss it further in our Q&A session. Thank you for your attention. Thank you so much, Carla. Thank you. Are you listening to me? Yes. So we are going to try again and hope because it's my birthday, it's going to be a gift present for me, if it's okay. Sophie, Elodie, are you listening? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So I'm going to ask you again the following questions, Sophie. I'd like to start with you. Uh, would you say Parisians and also the visitors will participate more in Paris 2024 than in previous editions of the Olympic Games? Um, Christian, I, I, I'm sorry, but I cannot hear your, your questions. So maybe we had uh, some uh, slides to uh, introduce the, the Olympic Games, uh, Olympics and Paralympic Games. Um, shall I go through those sli slides? Uh, or, or maybe you can write in the, in the discussion box, uh, you know, whatever your questions well, you are. Can, I'd be can, happy to uh, answer. Can... You can go ahead, and also we are going to put the slides, but just tell us, you're not listening to me. No, I cannot hear. I, I, uh, yes, I can hear you, just uh, Renan, I guess. Yeah. Just. Ah, okay. Sorry? Okay. I, I, can you listen to me now, but here? Yes. yes. So yes. the question is, do you think the Parisians and the visitors are going to participate more in these Olympic Games than in previous editions? Ah, uh, okay. Okay, thank you for the question. I can hear you clearly now. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think, uh, you know, for, 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 for Paris, the city of Paris, for France, um, those games are really um, uh, a major uh, strategic uh, interest for us, and uh, we are quite confident that there will be a great interest uh, for those games from all over the world. First of all, um, and it's a pity, but the Tokyo 2020 games uh, could not uh, get any uh, spectators because of, uh, uh, because of COVID. Um, so it's been maybe uh, eight years that we haven't had uh, summer games, uh, and and of course we are expecting with Paris 2024 um, that those games will be very uh, uh, very uh, get a lot of attractions. Um, also, Paris is is a destination that is quite uh, attractive to uh, all visitors. So we are thinking that. Uh, uh, there will be a great enthusiasm for uh, uh, participating to those games. Um, 
We have few figures, maybe I can share with you uh, and polls that were uh, done by Paris 2024 um, regarding the games and how French people do, uh, do uh, consider those, those games. Um, the poll was made in uh, January 2023. Um, and for, for uh, nine, nine French people out of uh, ten, they know that uh, the, the, the games will take place in Paris in 2024. And they are keen on watching, watching and participating uh, for 58% of the French people. Uh, usually, the, this figure is more around 46%. Uh, so we've got 20, 12 points ahead. Uh, and for 55% of the French people, those games will uh, contribute to the image and the attractiveness of, uh, of France and Paris. What is also interesting is uh, uh, for the, from those, this poll, um, the French people under 35 years old are very interesting, very interesting in the games. Uh, 75% think that the, the, the event will be very positive for the ima image of France. And, and those figures are uh, making us happy because uh, that's what we want. We want to showcase uh, Paris and the games to the world, and we want to have a a great experience for the visitors. We have few estimates also uh, regarding number of visitors. We estimate that during the games, uh, Paralympics and Olympics, we will receive 16 million visitors uh, during the, this period of time. Uh, interesting to say that uh, there will be a lot of uh, people coming with no tickets. Uh, 12 million, we are expecting 12 million of visitors coming uh, just for, to enjoy the celebrations and the city, uh, and they wouldn't have um, uh, the summer, summer tickets. So, so we're really preparing to welcome um, the world, and, um, and especially French people, I have to say, because 75% uh, of the, the visitors will be, will be French. So, uh, so, so it's, a, it's a great event that we are, we are preparing right now. Okay, I'm gonna ask you again now for Elodie. Elodie, uh, what are the emotions you expect uh, people to have during these Olympic Games? Well, I think most of them are well, expecting to be overwhelmed and really burning with excitement. Yeah, the, I think we, we are really hoping for visitors to be overwhelmed and burning with excitement. But just coming to Paris already is usually a very exciting time for anyone who comes to Paris. Um, and but coming to Paris for the Olympics, that adds up to the excitement and the, uh, yeah, I think the overwhelming experience. We're hoping that the response from the local, from the Parisians will be as much excitement as it will be for the, for the visitors. Okay, I appreciate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate. I'm going to talk here so that they listen. Uh, thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. See you in 2024. Thank you. We, we apologize because uh, it was uh, something, a trouble, a problem in Paris. As you know, is there any French here? Yeah? 
Okay. <laughs> because uh, these online things in France is not so easy. So thank you so much. But it was great. We love France. We love Paris. We are sure that the Olympic Games will be something astonished to everyone. And Natasha, please. So back here, we have two options. And now it's really interesting because we had it here, the entire experiment. We have the option of having the data and go with our guts. If we go with our guts, what happens? And now I'm going to tell you the truth. We've been trying to get them to send us the video in case we had a connectivity issue and we didn't get that information. We didn't get the video. And we had a problem, and you saw the problem here. And that's a gut thing. They thought that they could risk. And we had this issue with, the, with the, our presentation. The other option would be really having the presentation and having the video as a, a B plan, as a, a backup plan. And then you would have all the information during the event here. And we would go faster. So we have plan A, having the uh, uh, plan, sorry, option one, burning money. Option two, having a plan. And that the plan is, I'm the sender of the information. You're the receiver of the information. We have the context, the message, the channel, the code. Everything can have a problem. All those things can have issues and have clinch. We have to plan. We have to work with data. And that's what we suggest. That's what neuroscience suggests. And that's what we're uh, collecting the data. And now we have the tools for that. Um, so we have the public, you guys, and the gut feeling again, and the analysis. If we go the gut feeling, 50% of chance of failing. We got that today. And we have 50% of success. We also got that as well. And if we get the analysis, we have 0% of chance of, of uh, bad experience and 100% of chance of success. So it's up to us to decide, are we going with data or are we going with guts? So examples on gastronomy. If we add cheese, when we have an event and we add cheese before we get the information through, if we get a plate of cheese and then we get the people, hey, you're going to whatever, they're going to uh, keep that information better because it's going to open their senses. So those little details are very interesting. And now we understand those, in, those details. And why not work with them? So, and, and I'm talking about uh, events, and it can be anything about branding, anything that we work with branding activation, and coffee and grapes, and then ask Carla, and she will explain more about that. And if you want more example, we need a class 2.0 next year, South by Southwest. So, once again, cheat sheet. We, yes, we can design and build emotions using the lab. How do we do that? Planning. We do have to plan well. We, uh, emotions can create memories. They do create memories. We need a perfect execution. 
The memories can be transferring time. We project what we have here, we project. So it has to be com well communicated. And that's ROI, positive ROI. So who has a smartphone? Please get the smartphone and raise the smartphone. Get your smartphone. Now please stand up, whoever has a smartphone, and turn to that side. And please make a selfie with us here. <laughs> hey, yay, yay. And now, yes, turn, turn back to us. You just created a memory forever, and we are going to do the same with you now. <laughs> yay. There. Please post tag us. Don't forget to post Hugh Forrest. <laughs> and I'll give the clicker back for Thank questions you know, and I, answers. I don't need the clicker. Okay. Uh, do you have any? We still have like. Eight minutes to go. Do you have any questions, please? We have a microphone here in the middle. Go ahead. Yes, Mike back there. Mike is here. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for sharing. Um, I have a question regard, uh, kind of directed at Carla from a neuroscience perspective. I think the usage of neuroscience as it applies to like tourism, cities, countries at large is obviously important. Can you speak a little bit more to how has that been received in your experiences in working with large-scale cities, countries? Do you see certain ones really adapting neuroscience in their strategic planning of whether it be specific initiatives or even infrastructure or city planning? Hi. Hi. Can you repeat, speak slowly? Because I'm a Brazilian and I'm English. And no falo Portuguese. Ah. <laughs> My question is regarding the usage of neuroscience with tourism boards. If you have specific experience in how cities and countries are leveraging neuroscience in specific event planning or city infrastructure, is there, do you see certain cities or countries leading the way in leveraging neuroscience? So hearing more about your experience on that. The, the problem, the issue is that uh, this kind of measure is new because we can, uh, Paul Zach and his, uh, his team can create an algorithm that put all the physiological data together and measure cardiac activity, oxytocin, uh, uh, other hormones, and uh, put this data together, data for uh, our health apps. So we are running it now. And now we can do it with an audience. But there are a lot of issues to, to fix because you know, here we can put uh, five or six uh, people in the, the experiment because it's too hard to, 
set the, the, the app and other things. But I, uh, I imagine, I wonder in that way we can measure uh, an audience engagement with an anonymous data, but it's too important because I don't know, I don't care if one of them were, were setting about emotion. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm focused on uh, the entire experience for the, the, the people with, during a, a show, music show, or during an event, or during a lecture like that. So uh, we are running it now, that's the point. If Natasha wants to collaborate, please, uh, just one minute before you ask. Yeah, uh, yes, we, it's not only the cities. Everybody now is using neuroscience to, uh, to build all the projects from now on. Uh, and it's been like for the last five years and it, it did uh, accelerate during the pandemics. So the information is coming and we're having an issue to, to get uh, the data analyzed. The, the, the clinch is really there. The data is coming. We need the scientists to help us to understand the, the, the data so that we can put that in, in, uh, in usage. So Stanford is doing several uh, studies, and there is one professor, Paul, uh, Paul Lee from, from Stanford, and he is, he is doing exactly what you just asked. And if you want, we can talk later, and I can contact, connect you to it with. Please. All right. First of all, Chris, I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you. And I'm so honored to be a Brazilian today and see the feminine power in the stage. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Professor Martin Lindstrom, in uh, his book, Biology, uh, it's not biology, it's B-U-Y-ology, uh, tells some cases about the use of neuroscience in advertisement. And I would like to ask you all, but especially from, from Carla, uh, should we have ethical limits on the use of neuroscience in advertisement? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, should we have a, a, a stricter uh, a policy about privacy, or we just add in the, uh, an, additional, an additional layer in those kind of things? Uh, I particularly hope that science doesn't, doesn't get limits. Uh, I wish scientists could be free uh, uh, to explore, but what do you think about uh, uh, the use of neuroscience in, in advertising? Yeah, that's a, a very good point because we are obtaining data from people and biological data is so uh, um, fragile because uh, people who was sharing the data with you cannot know what, what kind of data we are retaining? That's the point. Because when you uh, answer uh, an open-ended question about the event, who, who like it, uh, what you think about, you can uh, or you can uh, choose what kind of answer you will do. But when I get biological data, you cannot know what I'm doing with this and what kind of data I have. So. The limit, the, that key limit, in my point of view, is the well-being of people. If you use this data to push some kind of products uh, over the people, you are wrong. But you are using this data to 
measure the well-being and use it to uh, share more uh, happiness events or um, give the people what they want. It's a way that I put all my efforts and all my money in things that will uh, get this, this uh, pleasure for people. That's my point. Because psychological sciences, social sciences have the same power. And they are doing it for a center, using uh, the knowledge to push all the things over the people. But uh, I, I think that's ethical problem, that ethical issue is not about neuroscience only. It's all about how can we use data always to uh, put our desires over the desires of the people. That's the point. In the regulatory uh, organs are already working on it. So it's not going to be free. It's not going to be wild. There will be rules for it. Don't worry. Time it's up, but if they leave us here, yes, no, just the last question. Thank you. So I'm Carolina, I'm also Brazilian, and it was very good to hear from Carla. I read some articles for you during my psychology graduation, and nowadays I'm at the entertainment industry. My question is also related to marketing. So how do you see the future, so the neuromarketing applied to push and implement happiness through streaming platforms. Streaming? Yeah, like Netflix, Hulu, Peacock. Okay. So, I suppose we are, can uh, obtain data uh, to uh, help people to choose what you can see. You know, how, uh, uh, how long you spend your time uh, looking all the menu and receiving some kinds of suggestions that you cannot uh, want to see. So if I have some biological data, more precisely, I can more accurate uh, suggest you what you can do with your time, because it's a very big issue of, of our time, of our um, environment, no ecosystem, the time that we are living together. You know, because there are a lot of options to choose, and it it. Uh, is going people crazy because of it. What can I do? It's a fear of missing out syndrome in income. But if I have biological data to suggest it more precisely, and my objective is people, not the products or brands or environments or companies. That's the point. Your objective, your intention is the first. Uh, yesterday I saw a panel here uh, discussing purpose and uh, objectives of AI. And for me, it's the point. What's the purpose of AI or uh, all the technologies? Thank you. So thank you very much. We appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Guys, they're going to kick us out. Please, please, Ken. All our contacts are here. Uh, stay we, we can stay here. We can't use the mic, but we can stay here and talk to, uh, to you guys if you want. And our contacts are here. We love you. Thank, Thank you. Parabéns para você nessa data.